The year I graduated school, I worked in a carousel factory. All right. Um, hand painting carousel horses, which was the peak of my career. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Did I Do That? It's a show about the mistakes we make on the way to making graphic design because it's all part of the process. I'm Sean Schumacher and joining me today, a very special guest. She's an illustrator. She's a designer. She's a creative educator. She's done work for Nike, Google, Adobe, the New York Times, and... She's currently serving as the VP of Creative at Instrument. Nishad Akhtar, welcome. Wow, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> we're, I'm very excited to have you. I almost said we're as though there's anyone but me <laughs> working on this show. There's like images of people and animals, yeah, you know? I, That's like a, an audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've hung up a lot of stock photos of assistants for this show. Exactly. That you works. Know. I will look to my editing icon right here, and hopefully it will bless me with good editing. Um, so. Yeah. For my sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For my sake, too. May, may the edit be short. Um, <laughs> be with, short and clear. Yes. And make it seem smarter and wiser. Yeah, ideally. Although I found that rarely do I sound smarter, having listened to the episode <laughs> six or seven times. Um, how are you doing today, Nishat? Did, are, have you gotten to... Have you gotten to go outside at all? <laughs> Why is that? that that's how, where I'm starting. How what are you the doing? fuck's wrong with me? <laughs> how are you doing continues to be such a loaded question. Yeah, I know. Maybe it was a loaded question all this time and we were never really thinking about it. But when we really started thinking about it in the last two years. Um, yeah, we needed the universal experience of badness to sort of remind us yes, how to troubling say, it wow, is. What an existential question we're actually asking everyone in the most casual way. Yeah. Every day. Um, but I'm good. I'm excited to be here. And, you know, being here gave me a reason to leave the house, which is really nice. In Portland, <laughs> when it's gray, which is, you know, about three quarters of the time, it yeah. can be kind of tough to leave the home. Well, and this week we've gotten, I don't know when this episode's going to come out, but we've gotten a real uh, smorgasbord, uh, a, a charcuterie plate Indeed. of <laughs> different weather options. We started with hail, mm. and that was also a day that it was very sunny mm-hmm. <laughs> for a long mm-hmm. period. And then it was 77. And apparently next week we're going to have a chance for snow. You know, this is what I like to ask people. And I know this is your show, but I'm taking it over. (laughs) Is it though? If you had to think about how you would put all four seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, in order, descending from favorite to least favorite, what would it be? Ooh. It also depends on. Are we talking about Portland seasons? Oh yes, you can choose. Oh, thank you can God. Cho- no, no, sorry. You can choose your geography. Okay. If of other places you've lived, I don't think you should be able to choose your geography of places you have yet to live. So, <laughs> places that you sort of have a vague your idea fantasy of. of where you want to live, like of places you've lived and had to endure the seasons. <laughs> What is the order in which you would put favorite to least? I would. I mean, Portland summer is very good. I quite enjoy yes. Portland summer. For Early summer. Yeah. The late summer where it just is smoke. That's bad. That's sort of its own season. I agree. Smoke season. Yes. But beginning of Portland summer is quite nice. Uh, and I much prefer it to Las Vegas summer, which mm. is just sort of being in an oven that's turned to broil. <laughs> Um, God, what would be second? I mean, spring's good, Is it? even if it's very chaotic here. The thing about spring, living back east in New York and in Philly, was my least favorite season. Really? Yes, because spring is like the friend 
you really wouldn't keep around, except for maybe one or two things that they do that you sure. really like. Spring gives us longer days, and that's what's up. Yeah. That is the great triumph of spring. Thank God. Days are longer. <laughs> we love you. And spring gives flowers, which is nice, too, and it's very pretty to walk around and see all the flowers. But spring is a fickle friend. Yeah. Spring cannot decide who she is. Seems like they're going to be in a great mood, and then the next thing you know, it's like a totally different vibe. And every day, it's a guessing game. Yeah. I think with winter, you know what you're getting. With summer, <laughs> you know what you're getting. And with fall, you kind of so know what you're getting. You'd rather take the devil that you know of winter. Yes. Well, no. I mean, I am not trying to do another winter in Portland. I don't think I can do it. It's very grim. It's, it's very grim. Yeah, it's really rough. And I mean, the pandemic threw things off because normally I would be in L.A. visiting my brother or something like that for a little bit. A place you know, with sun. A place where, where there's sun. you're getting sun. vitamin D into your body. Which isn't like the relationship of the sun to planet Earth, like one of the big things about living on planet Earth <laughs> that makes it habitable and yeah, possible. The reason that the planet exists and life yes. on it also exists. Exactly. Exactly. And yet somehow living in the Northwest, we're existing in this dark space without much sun, which is almost a true human experiment that nobody's really talking about. <laughs> of how dark, how much darkness can you exist yeah. in? I feel like that's a that's sort of a game of chicken that humans love to play with this plant. <laughs> like Vegas is a great example mm. of that. No human should be living there. There's water for probably three people. You could mm. safely have a community of three in the Las Vegas Valley. Any more than that, though, you're going to cause problems. But they've got those like fount- dancing fountains, don't they? Well, that that's the craziest part about those dancing fountains is that is imported water. Wow. <laughs> they, wow. Las Vegas has gotten so water starved that they steal water from other parts of the state. Oh, no. Um, that doesn't seem cool. No, it's not great. But Nevada is also not great. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ely. Guess what? We're taking your water. You don't need it. Is, is Ely a person or a town? Ely is a town, a very bad town that I think the main economy is prison. Mm, oh, um, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole state of Nevada is basically the Mad Max universe. If yeah. You, yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah. Love the love the movies. Hate the reality. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot less entertaining IRL, I will say. What would we be without it? I'm good at talking. It's fun to be here. It's oh. fun listening to you talk. <laughs> I, it's almost... <laughs> Babble talk. What's the difference? I'm, I'm just happy to be with a person in real life. It's kind of magical. Yeah. It feels good. It does. It's nice to look at things. I was saying that earlier where I don't really get to... Looking at things in real life that you are not in control of, which, of course, happens when you look at the clouds and you look at flowers and you look at whatever when you're walking down the street. But in Portland, there's not a lot of like graphic input where it is no. in New York. There's billboards and wheat pastings and yeah. just stuff everywhere. And I remember when I first moved to Portland, I thought I could feel that. And I thought it was good because it was a way for the senses to relax and then for creativity to emerge rather than to exclusively respond to everything that's around. But now that I've been so isolated from anything, um, <laughs> being able to like sit here in this room, for example, and see all the different zines, posters, notes, design styles, 
is just random crazy stuff that our great students have made. Yeah, so it's such so much beautiful stuff. It's exciting and inspiring. I think in my design brain, I'd be like, "Ooh, wow, cool! Look at this!" And how might I would maybe I would want to use some neon pink now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really necessary. Like, I left teaching for a while, and I took a job at an arts org here, and I was their sole designer. So I was not really interfacing with mm-hmm. other design people. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you know it? I got much worse. As a designer. <laughs> yes, yes. Isn't that so? I mean, totally. You know, when you think of that tension between I'm a designer or I'm an artist. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of designers that are both and the lines blur for them. But being an artist is a really self-driven yeah. vision and practice, whereas design doesn't exist in a bubble. You are speaking to an audience, users, clients, stakeholders. And so if you're isolated in your design practice, you're not necessarily harmonizing as the work needs to once it's out in the world. you got to have some other input other than just yourself. Yes. That's nothing. Even if it's seeing something out there that you reject or are repulsed by, that's helpful. (laughs) It's helpful to gauge, you know? Interrogating why that, like, makes you feel weird. Yes, exactly. Or, like, I want to be less like this and more like this. There's something about that which is tough to be like, wow, why can't it just come from inside? And to say, like, I am certain and affirmed that my design is A, B, C, D, E. Yeah. But it just doesn't really entirely exist in a bubble once it's out there. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before the show about, like, how, you know, print is dead has Mm -hmm. been a conversation for eons, it feels like. I know. And print's back now, baby. Print's back. (laughs) Better than ever. I know. Big time. Who doesn't look forward to the Wednesday coupon wad? There is so much garbage that comes into my mailbox every week. I do not understand. (laughs) And I have to be careful because I'm in a bit of a habit of literally taking it all out and just going straight from the mailbox to recycling. And I was like, ooh, I think I threw some tax papers out. Yeah, well, I think that's sort of a game, too, that they love to play. Sirius XM mails me, I would say, about three very official-looking letters a week. Wow. Whatever I would get them monetarily if I were to subscribe to their service would not equal the amount that they're spending advertising to me. Even the people, (laughs) like some of the organizations that I send money to on a regular, like a monthly and annual basis, send me mail. And I'm like, do I have to give you more? more money to get you to stop <laughs> sending an email. This is a service that they can provide at the $100 a month yeah, level. This is the place that print should be dead. That And mostly you can like opt for paperless. And I've done that in most things. But there's still so much junk mail that comes. Yeah. And I've thought about what if I collected all of that over a year and then made some like paper mache project oh, out of it or something like that. That would be amazing, actually. Yeah, I know. But then I'd have to so collect. So many Harbor Freight deals. <laughs> Oh, wow. Winches are on sale, huh? But the place where print is alive and well is really exciting. There's like magazines coming back. And I think about my long career where I started working in print advertising. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. High-end luxury fashion photo shoot advertising is where where it all started for me. How did that? How did you get into that? Well... (laughs) 
<laughs> when I when I started school about a hundred years ago, I started as a fashion major. I was really interested oh. in how art influenced fashion and fashion influenced culture, and yeah. I was like, "This is a world that I want to make stuff in because I love I love the way that you can shape culture through fashion." I was never obsessed with clothes or anything like that, which is also kind of funny thinking about when I was in, <laughs> into that. But I knew how to sew, and I was yeah. like, interested. So. But you were like more the cultural aspect. Exactly, of exactly, and that for me persists today. In any sort of thing that I do, illustration, design, you know, the kind of work that I do now, which is not necessarily designing, but caring for a community of people yeah. in an organization and in a community. Anyway, I started as a fashion major in school, and after the first term, I was like, "Oh, I can't be in this industry. I this is so <laughs> against my politics and the way women are talked about, and the way bodies yeah. are talked about." I was like, "I am not about this." It was just immediately toxic in that yes, sense. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Um, and so I got into graphic design, and the irony is, when I graduated school, I still ended up working. <laughs> In the fashion industry for a lot of my career. Really? Um, so I got a job where I was working as a production designer at this ad agency design studio where we did big photo shoots for brands. We're talking Burberry. We're talking, oh. I mean, we're talking like working with supermodels. You know, the first photo shoot I ever went to work on was with Naomi Campbell. Damn. All um, right. Naomi Campbell and Kevin Bacon were both in this photo shoot. All right. You um, know. That's not the pairing that I would make, you know, but Kevin Bacon whatever. Shows, he, he shows up in different places. But <laughs> That's how he's five degrees of separation um, away from everybody. I worked on cropping these photos, making retouching notes, learning about retouching. And I was like, oh my God, I'm back in this toxic world. <laughs> I'm back in this sort of sickening place where I'm hearing about women being talked in a certain way, where Oof, a, the yeah. ideology of beauty is being sold in a very specific way. I learned so much working in that job in terms of high production value in photo shoots, the highest bar of expectation for output. Oh, sure. Um, and so I Our learned... product has to look good. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot about all of that. And I spent actually years in that job. And the next job I went, I also was working in photo shoots for fashion brands, but it was a little more, I don't know, felt a little more real working for Converse and like a little more to the to the Oh, earth. sure. But still in that time... Kevin Bacon skateboarding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, his son, Kevin Bacon's son is, was a big skater. Really? In Philadelphia, which is where I'm from. Well, I know his dad like had a whole thing where he designed a park Design that sort of park. became a, a skate park. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. Didn't, well, it became loved by skaters in Philly, but the city, <laughs> the city of Philadelphia did not love that people were skateboarding there. Um, and a it, lot of love not necessarily going around. No, with that in park. Love Park, yeah. which is, it is such a sad thing. And they've recently redesigned it and taken away way like the iconic granite round stairwell that was known in so many skate oh. videos in the 90s and early 2000s and i think was even in a tony hawk game i don't know because i don't play probably. video games but probably not well rendered i'm sure three generations of bacon in that in that park <laughs> with kevin bacon's dad being the designer um well i don't know what kevin bacon was doing there he's sitting in a lawn chair watching his kids skate i never saw him there ever but maybe he was and i just missed it but like i said i got to see him in one of the first photo shoots i ever worked on in my career and by wow. by worked on i mean got to be there i wasn't like <laughs> doing much but... oh so you were kind of supervising 
Um, yeah, I was handling Kevin Bacon. Exactly. I was, yeah. Exactly. And I was certainly being supervised on the post in my first job. I didn't know what I was doing necessarily. But I remember because I was like a bike punk in New York in that time, I could get from one place to the other very quickly. Oh. And so at the office, they were like, can you like somehow carry the scanner with you? And I was like, hell yeah. And I had a big backpack. A lot of my friends were bike messengers. I knew how to carry literally anything. How, from one how place. big a scanner are we talking? It wasn't that big. Oh. It was probably like a 13 by 19. That was as big as That's they made them. That's pretty big, yeah. Shoved it in my backpack, rode down 14th Street, like got to this place where we were doing the shoot. And then they were shooting both Polaroids and then film. And so I would oh, do, yeah. a, I would scan whatever their sort of like rough shots were and start to lay them out and then see what it looked like. And what a time. <laughs> what a time. And the person who was the photographer at the first shoot, he was like, you know, quintessential peak era model, supermodel photographer. Oh, um, a big name. In oh, that. yeah. I mean, he was one of the huge names. So yeah. I feel very lucky that I got to get exposure to all of that so early. And I was also very exposed to the toxicity of that <laughs> side of the industry. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to think about, like, all the time that has passed since then many 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 years and how we are finally in a place where the story of beauty and how it is captured and who is represented is different you see brands suddenly giving a shit about consumers of all, of all <laughs> kinds and that a body doesn't need to be aspirational yeah. like that's not that's it's such bullshit it's such like snake oil that had been sold and poisoned so many people's minds for generations and now to think wow we can celebrate the beauty of all people of all abilities in a fashion photo shoot for Nike or for any other brand that's like mainstream and just out there. I mean, I wanted that, you know, when I was a freshman in school and starting in fashion, but I don't think I knew how to articulate it. And there was no way to gain momentum, you know, in that. But to see decades go by and now we're in that place is really incredible. And it makes me realize, you know, the one thing that you can't control is time and (laughs) how long something takes. Yeah, yet. Exactly. And how like how long progress may take. Things are certainly sped up so much more now because of social media. Yeah. How did you how did you find your way out of it? Like what was your next kind of step towards where you are now? Is laugh. that a strangely enough phrased question? I laugh because it sounds it the question is asking um like has some belief that there was like an intention you know, I I think about my career path often as like being a bag in the wind. Um, I know that I have been successful in my career. I have this great job now and I've had many great jobs before. And I've worked for recognizable brands and campaigns that people know and worked with names that people have heard of, all of which I suppose validates the work, which is ironic because just because something's famous or somebody knows somebody doesn't mean the work is good. Yeah. But I've been really lucky. And yes, I've worked really hard. However, I haven't necessarily if I had to have chosen the route that I wanted to take I don't know if I really took that 
<laughs> I don't think anyone does, though. Yeah, like, there was. I mean, I wanted to. I was interested in working in advertising and fashion photography is really exciting because yeah. you can do very creative things. If you think about Tyra Banks' show, America's Next Top Model, and there's always some like super wild creative photo shoot. I was excited to do that sort of thing and just have buckets and buckets of money behind whatever idea. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I really just needed a job ultimately. <laughs> um, but that seemed like a cool way to go about it. Yeah. But I personally have always really struggled with the art that I do as my personal self and the work that I do as my working self who gets health insurance. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> the self that's in meetings. Yeah, exactly. And there's this internal conflict that I've had probably for most of my career of, you know, you've got to make money, you've got to get your health insurance paid for and being an artist and an illustrator isn't necessarily going to do that for me anyway it wasn't oh my gosh if i i mean i could tell you the following jobs that i had <laughs> i did generally stay in like this sort of intersection of fashion and art and design yeah i left new york and i had an opportunity to work at the philadelphia museum of art doing exhibition design which was like a dream come true oh absolutely I was like, wow i'm learning about art and art history every single day you're um, watching people run up those steps yeah oh my god the amount of time <laughs> in, in an hour they ought to charge admission to those steps they what's wild is that people do that and don't even go into the museum no you know? of course not and that People, They're fans of a movie that has nothing to do with There are art. people that don't even know that that's the art museum. You know, I, I meet people who aren't from Philly, but of course have seen seen Rocky and seen Creed now. And you're like, yeah, do you know the steps, the Rocky steps? Well, that's actually the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And people yeah. are like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And you're like, yeah. I worked there only for a year. It's a place, of course, that is, a, especially at that time, a conservative art institution. Oh, yeah. Is serving its donors, is serving its purpose. And. And the creative opportunity was pretty limited. Yeah, probably not a lot of Kevin Bacon photo shoots no. <laughs> going on. I mean, forget Kevin Bacon photo shoots. Try even putting a swash on a piece of typography. <laughs> like that, it was really limited. Yeah. And I think since then it's Garamond, that's so crazy. Exactly. You're going to have to tone it down a exactly. little bit. Exactly. Avenir only. But um, <laughs> I went to work for Anthropology, which is like a part of the urban conglomerate in Philadelphia, which again is like a fashion. Yeah. brand um, and I was doing graphic design for them sort of working across the in-store and web experience so making sure there was some consistency across like the two and that was an interesting place I got to <laughs> <laughs> oh, God how did we get here um, it's best not to think about that with this show yeah <laughs> how did we get here yeah. Well, you know, I think that a career in design is very similar. Yeah. There's like your pre-rationalization where you're like, I really love fashion photography and wild photo shoots and yeah. I want to do that stuff. And then you get into it and you learn more about it and you realize, ooh, I love the creative output of this, but I don't like the process or the people in the industry of this. Yeah. And so once you're kind of in that reality and there's iterations of, okay, I want more of this and less of this. I want more of this and less of this. You start sort of, at least I feel like I was starting like a ant in a sand farm, an ant in an ant, ant farm, sand farm. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. They make their paths. That, that was that what look Luke 
Skywalker's aunt and uncle were, yes. were doing on Tatooine, I believe. I know. Gosh, yeah. now I'm now I'm just thinking about Dune. Yes, like the sandworm. <laughs> You're just making your way through to the best resources to keep yourself going. Yeah. Whether that's something that's keeping you interested or something that's keeping you fed. And sometimes you got to push against one or the other of those to exactly. get what you need out of the other one. Exactly. Did I phrase that bad enough or maybe I could do a worse job? No, I'm I following. I think I think I follow you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, that push and pull. So anthropology, you're still in Philadelphia when you're working yes. at anthropology. Yep. But you were in New York in between coming, or was New York earlier? Prior to. New York was so the So I went to time. school in New York okay. at Pratt. Oh. Um, mm, does that, is that a... I know nothing about it. <laughs> it's a school. It's a great school. I went to New York once. Oh, yeah. really? Once? Once. It's such a great place. It's, it's, that wasn't my experience, but oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was also that. there in February, oh, so mm, that's not going to be the mm, kind of experience that you want. Yeah. If we're back to rating seasons, New York February is not going to be top of anyone's list. I don't. You think. know, but I might take it over Portland January or. Yeah, that's fair. And at least there's stuff to do in different kinds of people. Yeah. You know? But I grew up in the Philadelphia area. I moved to New York. I went to school. I spent a bunch of years there after school. I mean, it was a decade in New York total. I lived in New York before there was ever a Whole Foods or Amazon or anything Whoa. like that there where people now are just getting anything they want delivered to their door and they go get their <laughs> organic produce. And I'm like, I'm sorry. This no, is that the is city not... where the, we're the closest to anything that we would ever need. And yet we never want to go outside. I know. It's just that was not the New York that I lived in. But anyway, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, went and lived in New York for a decade, came back to Philly for about three years before I then came to Portland. What brought you out here? Well, I got laid off from my job in Philly and I was like, now what? And so I started freelancing back in New York, back in fashion advertising. Oh, oh my God. God. And I didn't want to move back to New York. I love it. I absolutely love it there. And it's it's always going to be home to me. I lived there from when I was 17 to 27. You know, it's very formative years. Yeah. But I didn't want to move back there. No, you and... were so sick of Kevin Bacon by then. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Fucking leave me alone, Kevin. The thing about Philly is there's not, there at that time wasn't a lot of places to work as a creative person. And so I did this cross-country road trip with my partner at the time. And Portland became the candidate, not of my choice. Oh. Hell no. I didn't get it. I came here and I was like... <laughs> I did not understand why people liked it here. Uh, can I tell you, that was the same experience I had. When I was looking at grad schools, a couple people had kind of put me on to this school in particular, Portland State University. Shout out Portland um, State. Yeah, shout out Portland State. <laughs> We're inside of the facilities that you provide right now. Um, and they're only slightly decrepit. Uh <laughs> But I, I remember coming up here and kind of looking around and it rained so heavily on oh, the, no. the weekend that we were up here. Like me and the friends I was with at one point had to go into living room theater and watch a movie that we didn't care about <laughs> because we needed a place to sit down and take off our socks because they were oh, soaked shit. through. As someone who was coming from like a horrible tourist trap nightmare, I wanted something that was just completely antithetical to tourism. Mm. <laughs> and I thought no one will ever want to visit this place. <laughs> It's awful. Portland is a, it gives a really strange first impression. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where's the city? I had only ever lived in New York and Philadelphia, which are, you know, the first and fifth largest city in America. Yeah. They have buildings that are tall. Yes. And Portland then was the 
30th or something. I think it's probably grown some. It's maybe like, it's like yeah. not that much though. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not in the top 10. No. And I had spent most of my life in two of the top five. So I was like, what is this place? I don't get it. I don't, why would, why, why? But I had some really cool work opportunities here. And I have to say, 10 years later, so many great things have happened to me career-wise and community-wise. And Portland State, Shout out Portland State again because Portland State um, is a not real, sponsored by Portland State. I want to be clear on that. It's a real center of community in a way that I hadn't seen in New York and yeah. I hadn't seen in Philly. And the students and teachers were connecting in this sort of like concentric circles out into the community so that the agencies were all connecting with each other. And I came here at a time where Sealy Pines had just started up Design Week, Portland. Oh, yeah. um, Creative Mornings was going. There was a lot of different ways to interact with people in the creative industry, to connect, to really feel a part of and participate in building community. Yeah. And that was that was a reason to stay. Yeah. You know? And the people here didn't feel like they were desperate to get somewhere else. Exactly. I think is the case, certainly in Vegas. Yeah. Or I <laughs> We learn about a studio and then, oh, everyone at that studio has been fired because the owner moved to LA. <laughs> yeah. Or even like the way that you said people weren't desperate to get somewhere else, I think is even a feeling that other people can give you in New York when you're in conversation with them. Or like, oh, can you serve me in a certain way? If you can't, you're not of value to me. Where I think in... That's a cool energy. (laughs) Yeah. Where I think really people are just so down to help each other here. And I hadn't experienced that. And Portland's pretty walkable, even though the weather's annoying. It's still walkable. (laughs) The first few months of the pandemic, walking, as we all did. Oh, of course. Going for walks around our neighborhoods. Yeah. I would take photos. Terrified, terrified walks. (laughs) I know. So strange. Thankfully, it was in spring. Yeah. Even though I talked a lot of shit on spring earlier. (laughs) It was good that it was spring because the days were longer and the flowers were blooming. There was like something to look at. But I went and took photos of every cool car in my neighborhood. Not intentionally. I would just happen to walk by lots of cool cars and cool cars is open for interpretation. Had you, like, being from the East Coast, some people will not even have, like, driver's licenses or anything like that. Yeah, I have had cars. I do have a car. Yeah. I have a driver's license. I don't really drive much. Really? No. I ride my bike most places. Oh, absolutely. I haven't had to really go anywhere in the last two years. But it's fun to drive sometimes some places. I mean, it's fun because I don't do it every day. Yeah. You know? It is hard to access a lot of the cool resources of being up here yes. when you don't yet have the car. Yeah, and exactly, which is mostly nature. I mean, yeah. driving, I don't know. Cars, though, there's like... I, cars 2. I, <laughs> cars 2, yes. Cars 3, Was Revenge there? of the one that is... Uh... <laughs> Get her done, guy. I'm not sure I've seen any of the Cars movie franchises, but I have seen Pixar really and Disney, I guess, both made a really impressive turn in the last few years in the same way that I was talking about how the fashion industry was once one exclusive thing, which was like an impossible aspiration that was shaped by like Eurocentric <laughs> beauty and nonsense. Where even even the people that they've hired to be in the, the photos are not beautiful enough. I for know. Their- 
know, taste. exactly. It's so strange. And the Pixar and Disney movies have also made the turn to be like, oh, wait, we should be telling stories of empowerment yeah. and all different kinds of people. And I love that. I just saw Turning Red maybe a week or two ago. I heard it's really good. So great. You're going to cry, which is the best part. I mean, it's funny. I was about halfway through the movie and I was like, wait, I haven't had one of those epic Pixar. Oh. I'm crying. I'm crying oh. uncontrollably moments. They're going to punch you. Oh, they got, they got me. They got me. It, and I was watching at a friend's house and I was just like, here it comes. Here come the water waves. You're, you're getting to the top of the roller coaster. It's yes. doing the clicking sound yes. and slowing Ooh. down. Ooh. You know, are you a roller coaster fan? No. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified of them. I was reminiscing, though, with somebody the other day about we have these very weird, like, little places where kids would go and have birthday parties growing up. Uh, And we had one in in Vegas called Pistol Pete's, which was basically just a Yosemite Sam that somebody traced. Interesting. (laughs) Somebody's kind of middle school tracing of Yosemite Sam was was Pistol Pete. And one of the things that Pistol Pete's had in it was a roller coaster indoors in like what is essentially like a grocery store (gasps) size building, like an Ikea roller coaster. That sounds (laughs) like a designer's dream, though, doesn't it? Like a theme park. Imagine a... (laughs) A minimalist theme park that is designed in a way that is, you know, um, Danish inspired uh, (laughs) furniture and... Um, you know, I your I, vision of it is, it is not going to hold up to an actual photo. Of well, who needs a photo? Coaster. As a kid, I used to draw lots of amusement parks. Really, I used to think because I loved that stuff as a kid. Yeah. Loved going to Six Flags Great Adventure in New Jersey. Dorney oh. Park is also in Pennsylvania. Hershey Park we talked about before this. Wait, there's a Hershey themed amusement park. Oh yeah. This is news to me. Yeah. Hershey is not as good as Dorney Park or Knoebels. I mean, this is very <laughs> uh, like southeastern Pennsylvania specific. But um, I so, want to grow audience in that region. So we, Six we Flags need this is better. And for the Ohio people listening, we all know it's all about Cedar Park. So that's like the Cedar Park <laughs> is like the ultimate roller coaster park in all of America. Really? I haven't been. Do they have like wooden coasters and stuff like that? I think like they've that? got it all. But I used to drink draw amusement parks a lot as a kid because it's a really fun thing to try to design. And not that I ever, I didn't even know what graphic design was when I was eight years old, but I knew what imagining an existing thing in a different way was. What if it was a swan theme roller coaster? Or what if it was a, they were usually animals. What if it was a, I don't know, horse theme scrambler? Or what if it was, I used to draw all of that stuff. And the I horse do, hates it. I do. Well, I don't think it's a real horse. It's like oh, a it's not a horse. fiberglass horse that you would sit in. I'm just imagining you're in the car with the horse and the horse is just like, oh, fuck this. That would be horrible. <laughs> a horse would not like that. Fun fact, I did work at a carousel factory in East New York in Brooklyn. What? Yeah. Like almost... The year, the year I graduated school, I worked in a carousel factory. All right. Um, hand painting carousel horses, which was the peak of my career. <laughs> 
that's pretty damn good. It was the greatest job ever. It was it was in East New York, which is near JFK, basically. And I would go in there and I had a couple friends that worked there and we each got an hour on the CD player, which was pretty fun because that meant everybody got to play and expose each other to music that they like, which was really wonderful. We all sat in this studio and each person had a horse that they were working on or maybe some other sort of like filigree. The bench. Yeah, the bench or some sort of details or a pole. And we would paint carousel animals all day. And that was the best creative job I've ever had. (laughs) I'm not knocking my current job, which is pretty great. But that was the... You're literally creating magic. Yes. Yeah, there's still in existence a horse that you can visit that I painted in Bryant Park in New York. Wow. Um, So if you're on whatever it is, 42nd and 6th Avenue, you can go see a horse that I painted there. Which one is yours? It is a horse that has all of these like roses on its body, like three-dimensional roses like around its mane and then on on the saddle. And it's blue. I should show you some photos. I should show you some photos. I have some work in progress. I would love to see. Photos of that. Let me see if I can pull it up while we talk. But this idea of what is a professional design job or what is a professional artistic career path yeah is or at least then was very commonly like working in an office working in an agency working in a studio yeah but when i look back and think like damn i was hand painting carousel horses not that there wasn't very there was nowhere to go beyond making you know i have no idea how much i was making at the time not much <laughs> and, you know, were there lifers though on the crew or was no. it no oh the lifers were the people who did the actual fiberglass oh sure and we weren't allowed to be in the building when that was happening because it was so toxic you know (laughs) or or at least there was like a whole i'm gonna try and pull it up but there was like a whole other protocol of safety that we didn't know about the fiberglass protocol yeah exactly when i'm at the airport in a couple weeks i'm gonna pick that up i think it's the new john grisham they just keep publishing them even though he's been dead for (laughs) 10 years you can scroll through these here oh my gosh it's very blue. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are film photos that I still have somewhat scanned on Flickr that I can easily access, which is cool. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it is totally blue, but with a golden mane. Mm-hmm. There's like this sort of scalloped green to yellow like right. pattern. Mm-hmm. It's really gorgeous. This is a very good horse. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It looks like it's about to do a chomp on something. <laughs> uh, what with the teeth, but that's... I think carousel horses are often designed in a really dramatic way. You know, if a horse is like literally chomping at a bit or its teeth are out, it's probably not having the best time being ridden. Yeah. And that's the rider's fault, not the horse's fault. I mean, if I was biting something very hard all the time, that that's probably a bad sign. Yeah. And if a human was pulling on it in yeah. a way, that's not very, it's not nice. Yeah. I ask humans to not pull on me. Yeah, know, exactly. Stuff. Don't pull on me. Don't push me physically or emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> Which are boundaries that we all should be able to set in our lives and in our workplace. Pretty fundamental. Yes. Um, yeah. So you didn't bring in work, but you brought in a couple of like pieces of inspiration. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your early... Former inspiration. I think you referenced these as things that you're donating <laughs> to our library. Um, yes. Which is full of a lot of things from this era. Yeah, it was... It, it the was... peak of design books. Yeah. Well, in order for me to have accessed anything from school, I would have had to have a zip drive... Which I don't even think is a technology that is like usable <laughs> yeah, anymore. For those of you who are too young, a zip drive is like a floppy disk that's a little chunkier. And how come they know what a floppy disk is? Yeah, it's the save icon. Uh- <laughs> 
<laughs> just imagine a save icon, but real. And then, you know, one that can hold more things. Yeah. So I brought in two books. I recently had all of my stuff from storage shipped to my house. And then I started going through it and I said, wow, I don't need any of half of this. <laughs> And to really look at design reference before the internet, yeah, some of which was like really powerful and still very meaningful, and some of which was so specific to a time, which is like the book that I'm holding in my hand is from a design conference in 2002. Like right on the precipice of when that kind of thing stopped being a thing and the internet started being the thing. Exactly. Yeah, we, we didn't have like Google image search when I was in school. No. You had to literally either go to the library and find an image of a thing that you wanted or you would go shoot a photo yeah. of the thing that you wanted. Oh, did you ever have to, because that was the thing in libraries, like they would have like an, an archive full of like file folders yes. of images and you'd have, yes. that's where you would get a reference yes. photo for something. Yes. yes, it is so crazy to oh. think about how little we had, yeah. you know, and how also it was enough. Yeah. And now we have everything in the world and sometimes that's not enough. <laughs> Um, we don't need just a eagle. We need a very specific eagle. I know. Well, this book that I brought is from a, a design conference that was in the early 2000s by a group called Design is Kinky. Um <laughs> Which is hilarious. They were one of two memorable design community websites. Design is Kinky. And then there was this other website called News Today. And it was on News Today that I found my first design job. Really? Yes. Yes. That's a very important connection. Yeah. And to think that it happened on the internet at that time. On the too. internet at the time. Yes. I remember there was like a job posting. I applied wow. to it. They were like, yeah, come meet us. I met them. I got the job. And then I was meeting Kevin Bacon three days later. <laughs> But this book is full of just lots of vectorized illustration, some like graffiti references as they're making their way into the art world. Yeah. Page two is Shepard Fairey's Obey yeah. poster, which is so... Wow. It is so... We talked earlier, there's a lot of deconstruction of the grid in, yeah. in design in that era, too, because people were like, wow, print is dying. We can design things outside of the format that had been expected. That was a you know really signature design style of David Carson yeah. that was seen across graphic design kind of everywhere. Almost angry at the viewer. The viewer should not like looking at this article about Pearl Jam or whatever. <laughs> what if it's just set entirely in wingdings? Um, can I read you something from yes, this please, book? Please read me the forward to this book. <laughs> yes, the introduction. There is no doubt that the web is a powerful medium. <laughs> that's oh, how, that's how oh, old how you, little you knew yes. back then. Oh. Truly. You know, I have been an Amazon member since 1999. Oh my God. When it was a bookstore. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I didn't know anything about stock. That would have been cool. They could have written that in this introduction. Well, there was so many years where they didn't make any money and you true. were just like, oh, you're you're getting bigger, but you're still going to go And yet, soon. I know. Little did we know. Yeah. So, there is no doubt that the web is a powerful medium. It has changed the world, made it smaller, made it larger, pushed away borders, but for all its power, it is still very alien mm. still feels somehow expendable it could be gone at any minute <laughs> holy shit oh no wow with the flick of a switch server down no more web it can't be touched it can't be felt what can you see but pixels turn off your monitor and it's gone friends i, I think this is a challenge <laughs> we need to get rid of the internet <laughs> <laughs> 
Log off this and it does not exist. Oh. Log back on. That's it a... could be gone. Beep error 404. <laughs> Beep error 404. Books, wow. however, are real. There is something oh. about a book that is uniquely powerful. Holding it in your hand, turning pages, smelling the ink, feeling the gloss. Wow. This was like um, squeezing the dying love of print in that era. Yeah, this almost feels like the kind of thing that you would write about print now that it's sort of gone through the, the zombie era. Yeah, exactly. Um, holding it in your hand, turning pages, smelling the ink, feeling the gloss. Yeah. Books have a texture that you can't find on the screen. Turning pages of a book is like opening a hundred presents at once. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. What comes next? What will you find? What will you see? It's ironic because I think that's like the paradigm of scrolling on Instagram or TikTok where it's like, what next? What will I find? What will yeah. I see? <laughs> What does the brain slug want me to feel next? Exactly. You can throw a book around a room, pass it to a friend, flick through the pages, jump on it, spill coffee on it. It's alive. It's connected to you. It's real. It goes on. <laughs> How much more could there be to say? Um, uh, I've always felt this way. This is not. It's composed of matter. This is not me in a shot. This is the founder of Design is Kinky, Andrew Johnstone. Andrew Johnstone, if you're still, if you're around, I'm sure you're, I mean, you were a OG internet community organizer. So as much as I might be poking fun, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. The organizing of the people, mostly men, that you did in that time. Yeah, so I'm sure yeah. the men are very thankful for all the celebration that you did for them in that era. Seems, seems like maybe could have been more diverse. Yeah. Just a thought. Of course. Yeah. But this is interesting. I've always felt this way even though I, I have based most of my design on the web I've always felt that that was temporary gosh we should just this would be yeah, this would very, be a great very interview. prescient um, that it would not always exist. Work comes and goes. One day there it is, and the next it's gone. A new version, 2.0. What about the old version? Relegated to archives if it's lucky or simply deleted. Never to be seen again. It's sad. The ease of publishing along with an instance of latest technology makes the old seem bad. Old is not bad. It's just older. All right. Shout out to us old people. Yeah. Old versions of websites. Although I'm old and bad. So <laughs> then... Yeah, Old a... versions of websites and graphics are taken down as soon as possible. Hide them away, quick someone might see. Afraid of what you did because you now know what you can do. Hmm. <laughs> people will laugh, people will point. It has to be new. And so we decided to make a book, which is really ironic. Yeah. Because this book has lasted, and yet none of the styles in this book have endured. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if putting it in book form is making the statement that it must endure, even though no, the irony is that it hasn't. And um, there's a CD-ROM in the back of this. Which... Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah, there is, yeah, you were saying that there's a CD <laughs> in the very back. There's a CD-ROM that We want to have has... a multimedia experience with this book. Oh, it's yes. It's very transient, I'm sure. System requirements. Uh-oh. Macintosh. Oh. System 7.6 or later. Oh, well, yeah, I definitely have later than that. You know, I'm actually really happy that I have this artifact because it says so much about that era of design. Yeah. Really the beginning of what designers were contemplating as this shift of paradigm of where does design belong, exist, 
exist. And I was capable of making a website. I knew how to do that. But I wasn't passionate about making my career about that. And I can post-rationalize this is thinking it's been about like (laughs) telling stories and connecting people to those stories. And those people can be consumers or they can be people that are just admiring a beautiful image. And sometimes the connection is now through the internet because that's where we all do our connecting and consuming. But this book in its introduction in itself talks so much about that separation. How, you know, one thing is this ephemeral media that we have to choose to make space for the internet. And one is this permanent media, which by nature of it being physical, has uh, sat in your mom's garage for many years. (laughs) Giving it away. You know, I might keep this now after after this conversation. Well, I think you should because I think it's very fundamental to your story in a in a weird way. Like it's like you know, it's 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 this like the internet community part of that is long gone. Yes, but this is kind of the artifact. Yeah, um, exactly that. Exactly that. And there are people I know that I'm sure I work with at Instrument, some OG internet design people that would have remembered, that will remember Design is Kinky, that will remember News Today and the Holodeck was another one. <laughs> um, it was a very. I wonder, were there any nerds on the internet at this time? <laughs> It's hard to tell. Mm, yes. A different kind of nerd. Yeah. Gosh, that word has gone from being like a pejorative <laughs> to like a ce- celebration. Yeah. You know, now it's just if you're into something, if you're really passionate about something, you're a fill in the blank nerd. Every little bit gets us closer to totally the Star Trek future. Yeah. Hmm. I think we're in the Star Trek future. I hope so. I said I was in the metaverse recently. Oh, yeah. Uh- <laughs> I spent a little time in the metaverse. It was very cold in there. <laughs> wear a sweater. Which is, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that that was the physical experience. But make you know. sure you wear a sweater before yeah. you go into the metaverse. It's there if you want it. I, you know, I, <laughs> a ringing endorsement. Yeah, and it's like anything though. It's like in the grocery store. You sure. know, those middle aisles are there if you want it. Yeah. You know, I'm mostly a perimeter kind of person. I'm mostly like fruit and veg and then whatever is on the other side, like your dairy and stuff. But the metaverse, it's a new place, I suppose, to experience community for some, which is like the modern AOL instant messenger chat room that <laughs> I suppose people can go and create community in. But people can also do that in Animal Crossing. You don't have to have a headset or an Oculus to do so. But anyway, that's the holodeck is here experience. (laughs) Well, we were also discussing before the show about I've mentioned a couple times on the show that I was an Internet cartoonist of some note on the America Online service. Blackberry Creek, I did a comic called Abby Cat, um, which was the most blatant Garfield ripoff there ever was. Should my actual cat is brown? What color should I make Abby cat? Definitely orange. Because, <gasps> um, yeah, that's the color of cats in comic strips, of course. Um, Did Abby the cat eat lasagna? No. <laughs> she hated everyone and everything, though, which mm, is a, a mm. thing that she, I would say, shared with Garfield yeah. as a trait. Cats are like that, though. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure how she felt about Mondays. I think she's kind of on the fence. She's a cat. That's where they like to be. But yeah, I, while I was doing that, I remember some of the other cartoonists talking about some incredible new futuristic chat experience. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't confined to the text only of AOL <laughs> chat rooms. No, we could come up with avatars in this wonderful new experience and stand on a JPEG in them <laughs> and have little chat bubbles. Um Yeah, the future of interactivity is not what you could have dreamed from just that JPEG. Did you you participate? Did you participate in the JPEG? I think I well, I was generally too terrified of Internet everything. I think I had a great sense of fear about life in general, Mm. um, which is something that I don't think I've actually shaken. Mm. Um, (laughs) Like I was on Flickr when Flickr was sort of the big community, Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't talking to anyone and I wasn't posting anything because I was terrified. (laughs) And I missed out on so much from just being an outsider, a lurker. Are you more scared of the internet now or less scared? Um... I mean, it's a bigger part of our lives now. Like, you you would have to dial in and pay by the minute to the America Online yes, service. Yes, there's no logging on and logging off. That no. was wild to even read. To think, <laughs> oh, it was a destination you chose to go spend time in rather than it literally being an augmentation of your reality. Yeah, it's every time you are not looking at it, it is desperately clawing at you for your yes. attention again. Yes, um, or it's the conduit for connecting with others. Yeah, and sometimes also it just Tends to. I had a very weird experience. Uh, I <laughs> this, this might be something I cut out. I disabled my account on a dating app like a couple weeks ago, and then out of the blue, I get a notification like, "Oh, this person messaged me." Oh shit! Like, it's like come back. Well, it had been sending me like come back messages, and then like I got this, one. and of course I clicked on it because it's like, oh, a huh, human interesting, being. yeah. I I like human connection, sure. And I click on it, no message. (gasps) And now the, like, and when you click on the the notifications, I feel like they never go away until you actually delete them. This one did. So I clicked on it and it disappeared (gasps) as if maybe (laughs) they realized that that they did a a naughty thing. They're like, okay, cool. We know how to leverage people to get back in. Whether it's a little bit of a fib, just come be in our universe. You know, in theory, that person could have been thinking about messaging mm-hmm. you. There's I, no rule that says they weren't. Wow. I wonder if they did a like mutual push on the other side. See, the internet now. The- That's a good question. Like, they were like trying to, trying to seed the experience. The, it's all, I Ooh. mean, I... I hadn't thought of that, but that's even sketchier. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand. You're meant to be together. Yeah, exactly. The algorithm has decided. There should be more smarter algorithms that can figure that out. There's all of this incredible data that's out there in the world of like, what kind of music you like? Just horrifying levels of data. Literally. (laughs) And it's rarely being used to our advantages. Yes. Sometimes I'm served up an ad, sometimes, of a thing that I might actually be interested in. But I also, I'm such a infrequent consumer, which is really an interesting irony of like working in marketing my whole career. Yeah. Of like, I and love, also be, I don't buy that much stuff. Like I go to the grocery store every week. But, there's not a lot of viral marketing for like onions. Right. <laughs> 
But I have been a person that has made lots of images and stories that are at the very bottom line meant to sell people something. I don't think of myself as a salesperson, but when you are a graphic designer, that's something that people don't talk about very much because you are actually a salesperson. You're a master of sales. You're the voice of these things. Exactly. You are shaping how an individual experiences a product or a message because that message can be political, but you're still selling it. There can be a pair of sneakers that has been out in the world for 20 years, but you're still putting a new spin on it that makes it seem appealing and interesting to people. And so having that psychological intelligence of how to repackage something to make it interesting or worthwhile or compelling is a really fun space to play. And yet the irony is what we're doing or what I've spent so much of my career doing is really selling ideas, ideologies, which at the bottom line sell a pair of shoes, an outfit, a ticket to an exhibition, a dress, <laughs> a pair of sneakers, you know? Yeah. And for me, I'm not even that much of a consumer at all. You know, I actually want to continue to consume less and, um, you know, reuse, buy used things. There's so much stuff out there. The real sustainable action is to buy what already exists. Absolutely. You know? Like, you can walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, literally, because you bought them used. Yes, literally. I just read this book called um, The World is on Fire and We're Still Buying Sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great little book um, by a German designer, and I'm forgetting his name, and it's an essay on just doing critical analysis on hype culture and, you know, being a sneakerhead and the irony also of sustainability in fashion and yeah. how it's really hard to actually find credibility in brands that are calling themselves sustainable because oh, there's God, nothing really so sustainable about manufacturing. Yeah. But it's one of those things to be like, wow, yeah. What does it mean, you know, in terms of responsibility is being somebody who likes to make something visually compelling and interesting and there's a big audience to speak to. Yeah. And having joy for that side, but then a really interesting eye towards what does it mean to be like selling stuff yeah that's such an important thing especially for folks who are just starting out in this field to recognize like the thing that you might feel compelled by might also not be great (laughs) totally gosh my my senior project in school was anti-circuses it was using the sort of old style of circus design you know like like, 1890s like circus poster yeah exactly i was inspired by that and was making informational design using that yeah around you know how animals are treated in the circus and um i do wish i still had that to show you it sounds very good yeah i mean It's even better that I don't have it, so it can can sound really good, Um, because it probably wasn't that great, but it sounds good, which is, you know... When you look at it in the mind's eye, it's it's perfect. It's a a flawless project. But that was a motivator. It was motivating to me to use graphic design to communicate to people, Yeah, because that's what it is. Yeah. It is something, you know, you can think about the great political posters of all of history, and you can think about how that has become so accessible in like making memes and making carousel stories that are (laughs) trying to share information about movements. Yeah. All of that is design in its 
power of sharing and communicating. And the other side of that coin is selling sneakers, dresses, airline tickets, you know, whatever it is. And I think somewhere in the axes of that is a lot of people like myself who are creative and want to find a career in being creative and aren't necessarily going to, you know, sell their wares to pay for their rent, health insurance and all of that. It's an important thing to be to be conscious of. Like, yeah. Hey, kids, want to get into sales? Get a <laughs> career in graphic design. Yeah. You're not abstracted from it. You are right dead in the middle of yeah, it. Yeah, it's not like it's not. I think it used to be, hey, want to be creative and make money? Get a career in graphic design or are you good at uh you design like to foundations? Draw, huh? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we do so much. Well, you actually do so much drawing. I haven't really true. drawn anything. <laughs> in a I, long time. I do a lot of drawing still. I still keep up my illustration practice. I'm trying to learn some new tools in the physical world, some woodworking stuff. Oh yeah, I, you were telling me yeah. about that earlier. That's that sounds very very cool. I've been really inspired whenever I see like illustrators moving into sculpture. Yeah, and I want to just give it a shot. Not like give it a shot as uh, this is what I do now. This is who I am now. Which design, anything <laughs> you're, artistic you're a woodworking can feel. woodworking influencer. Yeah, yeah, God. Anything a person does now can feel like, oh, this is who I am. <laughs> um, but I, there's... I don't know anything about that as someone who's had to... Yeah. <laughs> but you were talking about, we were talking about comics and I was doing a, many series of frame-by-frame illustrations, like uh, single, single-page comic illustrations that had four frames on it and, you know, essentially the subject matter would metamorphosize into something else by the end of it. And it was a funny, you know, visual pun and a little trick. And I was thinking, what would it be if this comic existed in like a diorama in something more sculptural? Oh. And in 2020, I was really excited to have like this natural progression to explore that. And of course, we know what happened in early 2020. And <laughs> no, what happened? I, this, this thing. Any problems? It's just a few. Huh. Um, and so I sort of halted on that creative exploration, but I'm picking it up now and I'm excited to do that. Yeah, I, I want to be able to explore something creatively without it being a definition of who I am and what I do necessarily. Yeah. And I do feel free to do that now, which feels really good. That's really amazing. Yeah. If people want to check out your work, where can they find it? That's a great question. I think probably the best place to look is Instagram. And I've heard of that. Yes. Cool platform. Very sticky. Lots of algorithmic advertising there. So many. Um, and my handle is just my name, Nishat, N-I-S-H-A-T. And there's a picture of Charles Barkley as my avatar when Instagram... <laughs> <laughs> when Instagram... He young ki- young he Charles Barkley. queasy. Young Charles Barkley. Uh, he, he looks like he maybe had shrimp for lunch and he's realized <laughs> about two hours later that oh I don't I don't know when I don't know that that was a good choice <laughs> that is a thing he might do any given day yeah. I love him <laughs> I love him so much uh, when when Instagram was a thing started becoming a thing someone said hey you should get this app and I said oh okay they said you have to pick a name I was like uh how about my name Nishat and yeah. I, it was there available which is cool and they're like you have to pick a picture I was like uh how about my one of my favorite basketball players Charles Barkley and I've never changed it really yeah no I've never cha- I just sort of refused to I'm amazed that it didn't like force you to at some point I know you would 
think There's so. There's so many weird breaking changes that You would happen. think so. Nope, it has never asked me to change it. And yeah, that's a place to find me. I post some artwork on there. I post some nature pictures on there. I try to remind people that I'm a human person, not just a you know feed of artwork. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a mixed bag. But yeah, come check me out there. That's so awesome. Um, I have to get my card that tells me that. <laughs> What's next? Now. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my god! Thank you for um, having me. I needed I needed the card to prompt me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know I'm really the host because I'm not smart enough to know what's not on the card. <laughs> And friends, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, why not spread the word about it? Because, you know, we need more people to be talking about this show. Um, it's called Did I Do That? I don't know if you heard that. Maybe I didn't say it. Who remembers that far back? Um, but if you can, tell a friend. If you can do this also, it is please leave a review. That's also a thing that is possible for you to do on many services. Not all of them, but I'm not in control of that. So just you got to figure it out i don't know how just please look do a google uh it's it, it's a great service that tells you how to do lots of different things um you can learn more about this show on our website did i do that dot design and that's also the place that you can go uh to follow all our many social media presences i post all kinds of uh really great well-sourced uh high resolution images related to each show on the social media feed. I and mean, you should go check them out because they're kind of fun. Uh, we also now have a LinkedIn page because... Ooh. Yeah. Because <laughs> that seems like a service that's really on the grow. Um, is there another thing that I need to say? I don't remember if I do. Uh, anyway, I'm Sean Schumacher. That's my full name. Uh, this is a program called Did I Do That? And as always, we love to say... Uh, it's a roller coaster ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, Jeremiah. That one skipped my cue, I think. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why it was so highly regarded. Yeah. You've seen his horrible Joker makeup that they had. No. <laughs> oh no. Let us oh. see. Oh no, I get to I get to do the grand reveal on this. Um it's what much worse than you think it will be is the thing. <laughs> How first of all, maybe maybe this is good content. How would you imagine the Joker? If you're thinking Joker. When I think Joker, I think of Heath Ledger. Uh-huh. I mean, that was like you don't you, you can't get any better than yeah. that. And then after the second version I think of is like Jack Nicholson, 1992 sure. Batman. Both kind of similar in character design. They're yes. wearing kind of colorful clothing. They're Yes. Um, Just maniacal. Not tattooed heavily. No. Per perhaps on the head very much at all. What um, are we about to see? Oh, bad news. Bad news is the, oh. the answer to that. There he is. This is, <laughs> this is like a ICP, ICP nightmare. Um, I don't. I didn't even hear about this. I don't know if you can see the <gasps> forehead, but it does say "damaged" on it. Um, just, I see it. Yeah, it's that's a great choice. He's got a mouth tattooed uh, on his hand, so if he holds his hand over his mouth, then he's got another mouth. That's 
that must come into play quite a bit in that movie, I have to imagine. Hold Such on. Such a useful feature. 